Hello, everybody. Before we dive into today's episode of Crowning Around, uh, yesterday we heard, just like everybody else, that Prince Philip had been admitted to the hospital with an illness, and so we just wanted to send out some good vibes and wish him a very speedy recovery. Um, it's easy for us to get, you know, sometimes lost in their portrayals as characters in a TV show, but we do know that they are real people, and, you know, while we may joke about the way that they're characterized on screen, we don't wish any ill upon them in real life, and so... You know, that said, we hope that all is well with Prince Philip and that he is able to recover very speedily from his illness. And with that, I uh, hope you all enjoy our recap of The Crown, Season 1, Episode 6, Jellic Knight. everybody and welcome once again to crowning around a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through the best resource that they have that of course being the critically acclaimed netflix series the crown my name is sam chung and today we'll be discussing the events of season one episode six entitled this is jellignite jellignite before we begin, uh, please allow me to introduce to you my two wonderful co-hosts. First, a man whose application is still pending at the Soho Lunch Club, but he hasn't given up hope, Mr. Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, how are you? I'm doing well, and my fingers are crossed, Sam. Best of luck with your application. Second, a woman who most uh, was most recently spotted picking some fluff off of a man's jacket. It's Ms. Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, it is great to have you here. Great. Thank you. Great to be here, Sam. How are you? I'm doing good. Very excited to be back podcasting with you both once again. It feels like it's been too long. And, you know, I'm just, I'm so into the crown right now. So before we get too deep into this, full disclaimer, as always, just want to let everybody know right now, if you came here because you're curious about whether or not the events that we're going to talk about today are factually accurate, you're curious about whether or not Margaret and Liz actually had a semi-threatening phone call with each other, and you're like, did that really happen? We don't know, but we're just going to assume yes, and uh, that's just going to be how we're rolling with it. So uh, like I said, today we're going to be talking about Jellignites, and Ivan, I believe you have a recap of the episode for us this week? Yeah, absolutely. What a humdinger of an episode. I've been waiting for this one. I mean, just last week you heard me griping about how we have not had much focus on Princess Margaret yet. The storyline between her and Peter Townsend has been moving at a snail's pace. Boy, did we get some big payoff this week. What an episode. So, um, you know, we open up with uh, Margaret and Townsend having made the decision to uh, get married against all odds and uh, approaching Elizabeth for her blessing and permission, which she um, reluctantly but supportively does provide and even starts, you know, brainstorming how they can, you know, kind of make this uh, a little less controversial, maybe getting married up in Scotland rather than under the Church of England, which she presides over. Um, and everything seems to be going pretty well. But then, you know, 
you have that lamestream media coming in, trying to, you know, report on royal scandals and, you know, putting this entire relationship out into the world. And that kind of creates a lot of unneeded attention, which uh, really kind of ruffles the feathers of some of the uh, keepers of the institution. So, you know, our buddy Tommy, the Queen Mother, they're suddenly getting very concerned about this uh, union. Um, They do point out, however, that, you know, Elizabeth only really needs to give her blessing uh, for this to go through if Margaret is under the age of 25. So tell you what, here's a plan, wait till you're 25, and then you can get married, and it's no big deal, nobody needs to make any controversial choices about whether they approve this union or not. So that's the deal. Now, the drawback is, Margaret's not 25 yet, she's got about two years left to go. And in order to really kind of take heat and attention off of the uh, forthcoming marriage, they decide, hey, you know what, we got to, you know, have you two lay low for a while, you know, keep your distance. Let's go ahead and send Peter over to Brussels, have him, uh, you know, stationed at a military post there uh, until you turn 25, which, you know, Margaret isn't thrilled about, but, you know, she's she's forward thinking and decides, okay, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to be patient. I'm not thrilled about it, but hey, if this is what it takes. So um, in order to really kind of welcome Peter into the family, Elizabeth invites him uh, to a uh, trip to Northern Ireland, uh, where she's doing a little bit of a road show. Um, And this is where things kind of start to go south, because uh, Peter's getting a lot of attention, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of glory and adoration from the public, which, uh, you know, folks like Tommy and the Queen Mother and then eventually Elizabeth herself are not big fans of. So suddenly to punish him, they decide, hey, you know, we know we were going to let you spend, you know, another few days with Margaret before you formally take off to Brussels. But you know what? That's not going to happen. You got to pack your bags. You're going to head there right now. Not even going to give you a chance to say goodbye. And the episode ends with uh, a very... uh, distraught and angry Margaret um, pledging um, not necessarily lack of support, not necessarily revenge, but just uh, a lot of disdain for her sister. Um, and that's where we kind of leave things off uh, in the story from a, from a broad strokes perspective. So yeah, uh, very, very, very huge episode for Margaret and the one that we've been waiting for. I agree. It is definitely the big Margaret moment and Peter moment, I guess, that we've been waiting for. And I think that's definitely where we have to start off with because Ivan, like you mentioned, we had been moving at a snail's pace with them. It felt like we saw the same thing with them episode after episode. They have one inappropriate kiss and then it's like, no, but nothing can really happen. But now here it is. They can be together finally, but no, I don't know. I I felt a little bit bad for them. Carlin, how did you feel about what ultimately happened between Margaret and Peter? Oh man, it's like trying to separate my actual feelings for Peter as a character and like the Margaret Peter relationship. Cause like for Peter himself, I thought Philip had the right. <laughs> I, I actually agreed with Philip this time where it was like, oh, he's too old and he's boring. And I was like, you know what? I, I can see this. She Hard was only argue. 23. So, you know, I was like, you know, oh, my, but by the way, Philip was also, he really did a 180 there where like, Peter was like his savior with the planes. But like the moment he's coming into the family, Peter's like, no, Philip's like, no, no, this man is not entering our lives. 
Well, you know what? Yeah, you have to feel a lot bad for them because like, it's so interesting how, like, obviously in our perspective, we're like, divorced, who cares? But, like, even then, it was very clear that they also, like, the general society of this time period, I don't think they really cared either. So it's such an interesting thing that you see the way the royal family was so obsessed with this when it seems almost irrelevant. I think it's fascinating. And obviously, very sorry for Margaret and Peter to have to, like, be the ones that suffer because of that. Peter's too old and scandalous, and he's dull, and he's rude. (laughs) What is his redeeming quality? I don't see it. He, I mean, he really shot himself in the foot there. I, I mean, really, the nail in the coffin uh, was the moment where he was with Elizabeth on the plane, and he had the audacity to address her as Lilibet. Oh yeah, that. that and was I think like... you, you, you could see like just the expression on Elizabeth's face that like it was game over for for Peter from that moment forward. I just got to cut to the the Tommy and Peter moment. Such tension. Ooh. Oh, oh yeah. what a scene. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> the pause between the second and third ticks, it's palpable. Oh, man, Tommy's such a badass. Like, you know, you saw you saw him, like, leading the way, like, throughout the what we've seen of this first season. Like, this was Tommy's moment. He was just, like, a viper, ready to go and destroy. There was also that moment earlier in the episode where, uh, you know, Tommy is encouraging uh, Elizabeth to do something that isn't going to make Margaret and Peter happy and even says, you know what, just blame it on me. Of course, that didn't work, (laughs) but, you know, he tried. No, he gave it his best shot, I suppose. So, yeah, we get Margaret and Peter just torn apart here. And um, Margaret, I feel like, is really going to end up blaming Elizabeth for this. And... Elizabeth, in this episode, it's very weird because Margaret, you know, she invites them over to dinner to kind of announce the news that she and Peter are engaged. And then she's like, Liz, do I have your approval? And Liz is so, so just like deer in the headlights, just has like no thoughts of her own in that moment. She's like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. Oh, yeah. Those little O's that she had, like, that's probably why Claire Foy got, she got an Emmy, right? That's why she probably got her Emmy. Just like, just this perfect delivery of, yeah, like, it's just, it's so cool to see how they play out this idea that, like, you really don't think Elizabeth, she doesn't want this power at all. You see the way that she's just so awkward with it. Like, there's no other way to describe her, like, queenly manner with her family. Yeah, and she is so easy to manipulate, like this entire episode. And I think we'd seen some degree of this before, but whoever was the most recent person she spoke with, that's the person <laughs> whose you know perspective would be bestowed upon her moving forward. Like very little independent thought going on here. And, until a little bit then. Then she went full Game of Thrones. She was like, nope, you're <laughs> yeah, out. That, that, that hit a nerve and, and nothing that Peter was going to say afterward was going to salvage the situation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I was a little bit confused about that because at the end of the episode, Margaret accuses her like you've always been jealous of people when they take the spotlight from you. I mean, this isn't really something that we've seen particularly from Liz in the past, but it seems to be something that Margaret has uh, just had in the back of her mind, like I guess Liz's entire life. And then we do see it. I don't know if that's what we're seeing as Liz is watching Peter wave to the cheering crowd. I don't really know what we're what we're looking at there. I, Ivan, what, what are we looking at with that? Yeah, it, it is really hard to characterize it because I agree with you. I like Elizabeth is many 
things, but I've never really perceived her as just like a, an attention whore. Like, I, I don't think that she really basks in the spotlight and loves to have all eyes on her at all times. Um, I mean, even just going back to her coronation, she didn't want that televised. She didn't want the whole world to see it. Uh, you know, if, for someone who is, you know, arguably one of the most recognizable public figures in the entire world, she kind of fancies herself a private person um, of sorts, uh, at least when it comes to certain matters, uh, including, um, you know, family affairs and marriages and and the involvement that she, and blessing that she has to give to those. So, yeah, it's, it's really hard to make heads or tails around why seeing, you know, Peter get a bunch of uh, cheers from the public was really what created a, a distaste uh, for him in her eyes. I, I, I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Carlin? You know, it's interesting because I think somehow in the way they're characterizing Elizabeth, both of those things can be true. Like, I don't know if I buy Margaret's interpretation that she's always been someone who is very jealous. I don't know. Maybe that comes from some weird childhood thing. Hopefully they'll show us. Who really knows with Margaret's psychology here? But I do, I did definitely get the vibe that like, because they were talking about how like Elizabeth and Philip were like really popular. And like, I think that might've been her first time of like really independently being able to show that she was capable of like, not only being queen, but holding a certain amount of popularity with the people. Cause I'm sure that's something like you fear a lot. And especially when you're like being, you know, touted around as this like young, fresh queen. So I do wonder if there actually was like genuine jealousy in there. Because I can see that. Like, I can see someone who, like, just doesn't really care for the spotlight. But the moment sort of someone that you don't think deserves that spotlight is taking it from you. Like, I don't know if she would mind it if Margaret herself. Well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there is some, you know, sister rivalry here. But there's just something, like, because even I felt it. I was kind of like, what's what's Peter doing getting attention? Again, I don't think he has any redeeming qualities, even more so than Philip. I mean, and, and to a certain degree, you almost have to imagine there might be a little bit of classism in there where, you know, oh, yeah. even though Peter has won over, um, you know, Margaret and, uh, you know, is relatively adored by the family or at least was uh, for the longest time. You know, he's still a commoner. He, he's a mm -hmm. he's a dirty, good for nothing commoner. And, and that's not good enough for her sister. Yeah, that that is very true. The weird thing, Carlin, is that even though you are not a fan of Peter, England seems to be a big fan of Peter. They love him. Yeah, I, they have bad taste. I don't know <laughs> what to say about that. Come for me, England in the 50s. This is a little bit, I mean, the Margaret Liz thing, we see that jealousy from Margaret a little bit in that very first scene where she's watching. Okay, first of all, I don't even know what she's watching. It sounds like Liz is just driving in circles around a race course to wave <laughs> at people. What is happening? <laughs> I, I really didn't know. I don't really understand. But yeah. The pageantry of being queen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, she's watching this and um, Peter is there and they're just watching this, you know, her driving in circles. But Margaret is like, but you know what? I'm the luckiest because I'm in love and we're going to Rhodesia. Oh my god, you guys were paying attention to that Rhodesia speech. This is, doesn't have anything to do with that, but wow. Oh, yeah. That was, was another I mean, thing. Again, yeah. Uh, for, for, for a second, I had forgotten that it was actually Margaret that was delivering uh, oh, yeah. that speech. Like, I was thinking, like, oh, here's Elizabeth being racist in another country again. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, this is Margaret. What the hell's going on? This speechwriter just, like, he's really sticking to the bit. 
and, and and Margaret was, you know, putting so much stock in that trip too. Like Peter was originally supposed to come along. They were supposed to, you know, spend quite a bit of time down there together. And then, you know, those plans had to be nixed, but Oh boy. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just a real heartbreaker. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is one of the uh, few relationships in the show thus far that hasn't been, you know, painted by power and, you know, historical traditions and all the pageantry that comes with the monarchy. This was just like, you know, two people who knew they weren't supposed to, you know, be in love, but they were. And, you know, a bunch of politics has gotten in the way. Like, I mean, no matter how how much you love or don't love Peter, um, yeah, you know, you just you just kind of have to feel bad for them. Like, you know, they had a thing going and a bunch of, you know, really shitty people had to ruin it. Okay, one question, though. I don't know if this is just me. Again, maybe I'm biased here. But did anyone get the vibe that, like, Margaret liked Peter a lot more than Peter liked Margaret? I, I couldn't help but notice that. Like, Mar- like, if you counted the amount of times they, like, confessed their love in, like, very flowery, like, lovesick language, like, Margaret did it, like, five times, and then Peter did it once toward the end when he was talking to Tommy. And I was thinking, like, I don't know. I don't think anyone else noticed this. Like, it was just very interesting seeing their actual power dynamic. Because I feel like this is the first time we spent a lot of time with them as a couple. So I'm going to be watching that. Like, it's it's very interesting. I, I get where you're coming from, but I think it's also worth noting that this is a white Protestant man in the 1950s. He's not in tune with his feelings. He doesn't know how to fully emote. Like, yeah, I mean, I agree that there's probably a little bit more adoration for her that he wasn't outwardly expressing. But I just think, you know, again, like just even though Peter is very charming and charismatic, like relative to the other men on the show, at least. But, you know, he there's still a limit. He's still a British military man from, you know, the middle of the, the 20th century. And I would imagine there there's some very kind of like masculinity driven sense of reservation that comes with that yeah i mean peter got he got both that moment with tommy and then he also kind of had a moment with elizabeth on the plane i feel like that's probably as much as we could expect to get from him he's not particularly an emotive person you know like ivan said he is a military guy i just think margaret is such an expressive character you know she is almost at times over the top expressive that we're going to we're going to feel we're going to see her opinions repeatedly um and one such opinion is 2 years is too long i'm 23 i'm so old i can't wait 2 years how can you how can you expect me to wait 2 years <laughs> y'all i'm so confused by this arrangement like can't she just secretly fly over to brussels to see him like i, I don't get like, I know why it would suck to not be able to get married. and I, But, like, her relationship has already been a secret. And, like, like I get being mad, but, like, so, like, I don't get the, like, you could still go see him. I, I'm pretty sure you could still go see him. Well, here's the thing. It's not going to be a secret anymore because the newspaper has seen something very, very scandalous. Picking fluff off a man's jacket. That's a gesture as intimate as a kiss. Man, that's... <laughs> You remember that next time. I mean, who knows when I'll get near anyone enough to pick the fluff <laughs> off? But I wow. mean, just just how peppery do you think that article was? Oof, so peppery. It was. Uh, it was jelly night, as they said. 
just explosive. I, I will say that whole uh, that whole like kind of behind the scenes um, deliberation around like whether to publish that article or not, and the the editor kind of interfacing with the owner of the newspaper, who then in turn goes to Tommy. That that exchange between you know the newspaper owner and Tommy was fantastic as well. Where you know it was like the owner saying like we're an independent and free press. What do you want from us? And Tommy being like, it's still your paper. Shut this shit down. I'm on my knees with gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was watching The Post. Did you guys see that movie with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks? I did Regrettably. Not. <laughs> I was like, did, this, did The Crown just turn into The Post? What happened here? The Post was that movie where Meryl Streep turned to the screen and said, for your consideration, right? Yeah, she, wow. she just broke the fourth wall directly. <laughs> Amazing. It was fun that we got that, I suppose. It's always interesting how they choose this like random sort of third party um mm -hmm. entity and just like spotlight it for like you know five minutes i i love it because like it, it essentially makes it so that like a certain aspect of any given crown episode is standalone to a certain nature especially when you do have like these tertiary characters from other institutions throughout the country whether it's the the press or a different type of um you know office that's embedded into the government like uh, that's the kind of stuff in the the crown that i go crazy for and i really doubt we're ever going to see this journalist character again but you know th th this was his moment in the sun i mean he got really a name was. <laughs> his name is Bill. Name? <laughs> Bill? Yeah. Uh, he got a name, but the newspaper didn't. Did they ever specify which <laughs> no. publication this was, or were they, did they just deliberately keep that out of the episode? I, I don't know. If we looked at the newspapers, would we have figured this out and we just weren't looking at the newspapers? Well, I would imagine if this, like, like okay, so, you know, we can obviously speculate on what did or didn't happen in real life as depicted uh, in, in The Crown. I would imagine that, like, there probably was an article published. That was a public enough event that we can probably safely assume it did happen. And I would imagine like it would be well known which newspaper published it. So what was it? The Guardian? Was it, you know, uh, the Sun, the Telegraph? The like, Daily Mail. They didn't specify. <laughs> Daily Mail? Was it one of those lad mags with page three girls? Like <laughs> what? Like who published this? Like why? Why were they so coy about like what, what the source of the article was? But like, or the I publisher, mean, like, rather. If we had looked at the newspapers on the screen, would we have been able to see what newspaper was or was it actually obscured? Oh, they did show a shot of the the, the headline, but yeah, I didn't see, I couldn't make out what publication it was if okay. they even showed it. Yeah, That's, I wasn't looking yeah, closely I, I enough. Yeah, I wasn't paying enough attention. Oh, well. But yeah, we've talked about, so random third-party entity, one element of a good Crown episode. The other element, which we've discussed before, is just, you know, a series of tracking shots about something completely random. Today, it happened to be phones. Okay, but the contrast between, like, Margaret in bed in her, like, little floral pajamas with her phone, and then you see Elizabeth, like, straight up at her desk, fully dressed, like, ready to go for the day. You assume it's, like, <laughs> five in the morning amazing well yeah and then you have all these people in the cable room i guess they just are there 24 hours a day they're listening to those phone <laughs> calls waiting. right 
No, the that that whole scene with like you know the uh, the phone operators and the cables that was the equivalent of that scene from a couple episodes ago with like the meteorology office where it was yeah. just one person communicating the message to another and running it up yeah. the chain and just eating up a lot of screen yeah. time. But we as the audience are like, wow, there is so much style and flair to this. I am <laughs> loving it. Yeah, I would have um, personally spent that time with um, Elizabeth and her horses. Like that plot line is not. Carlin, As soon as I saw that shot of her galloping on the horse, I knew Carlin was going to have something to say about it. There was two horse shots. It was Elizabeth like checking on some like racehorse before she got the phone call from Margaret that was all angry. And then, yes, we had some very angsty horse shots with um, with Margaret. I think that's all she I So I get that she's like going to a place. But I liked the idea that like instead of like when people get stressed and they go run, she gets stressed and gets on a horse. And just makes the horse run for her. And and just looks really badass doing it, not gonna lie. She looks like a very good horse rider. I think that's one of the royal family's many like really distinct skills. I think they have to learn that instead of like other things that we consider important to learn. Can we talk about Liz going to find her or going to check on her horse? Because for the second time, no one can find her. (laughs) How does this continue to happen to her? Where it's just like no. (laughs) <laughs> she goes to has like one yeah. hobby i found myself thinking like what the modern day equivalent of that would be because like at this point they have cell phones right the royal family is probably very reachable i i guess but i also would assume that the queen still doesn't use one because like if i try to get any of my relatives over the age of like a three to use their phone they won't do it so Maybe they like they might make her. I feel like it'd be a security hazard if they didn't. I mean, her 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 people are holding her phone for her. I don't expect it her to be carrying it around with her on her person. But like, there is probably a cell phone that is used to reach the queen. That you know, whoever has Tommy's job nowadays is answering and being like, you know, the the queen's assistant here. How can I help you? Yeah, she probably also has to have someone walk around with her. The elders, uh, the entourage. Speaking, going back to the Liz and Margaret relationship for a second, one line that I thought was really funny from Liz in this episode was when she was talking to Phil and she was like, yeah, there's no chance that Margaret is going to be the queen. There's like no chance. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, she's right. Like, I mean, she has an heir and a spare, like she's good to go. And she's going to live yeah. to be like a hundred. <laughs> we don't know die. that yet. <laughs> Yeah, no, Elizabeth, right then and there, then we see her just <laughs> will to live. <laughs> that was the moment when she decided, when she I'm very never young. going to die. <laughs> that was pretty great. Uh, so so this episode, uh, you know, had obviously a very important uh, and story forward A plot, but it didn't really have like a ton in the way of B plots. Everything seemed to kind of fold into the main storyline, with the exception of Philip's trip to the Soho Lunch Club. Oh my God, the Soho Lunch Club. Soho Lunch Club. That was something. Ivan, how does one get into the Soho Lunch Club? Well, there's a pretty lengthy initiation process, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't know. I mean, so like, let let me try to remember how that scene started. So that was, was that with like, did it start with like Philip's buddy, the the guy that I call Cobb, because that's the name of his character from I Hate Susie. Mm -hmm. His name is Mike. Uh, I caught right at his the name end. is Cobb, Sam. We're going to call him Cobb. <laughs> his name is anyway, Cobb, Mike. <laughs> Cobb picks up uh, Philip. Was it for for the outing to the lunch club or was it for something else initially? Uh, I no, that's at the end. I think at the lunch club scene, they kind of just show up there. 
Yeah, right. it's assumed he got initiated some some time. Cobb Cobb Cob drives him back drunkenly. Correct. Like they yes. are full on like you know DUIing through the gates of Buckingham Palace and just oh, rolling yeah. up to the entrance, stumbling out of the car drunk. That was a sight to behold. But no, no. So like this lunch club, like what's going on there? Yes, um, a special guest is here, and it's photojournalist Tony Longden, my favorite photojournalist. And um, he's here from Cairo, um, and he's here just to relay how unhappy people are with the monarchy. Surprise, surprise. But, like, again, what is this place? Because, <laughs> like, like I get, like, these kind of, like, like almost, like, kind of, like, playboy club type vibes with, like, you know, the servers, and it's all kind of catering toward gentlemen. But then it also, like, they seem to have, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, an agenda. It's like, and they start with the new business of like the photojournalist, like <laughs> dropping by to share some, uh, you know, recounts of his time in Cairo. So it, it's this really weird sort of mix between what I kind of would consider to be like a the gentleman's club of old with like, oh, we're going to discuss some geopolitical shit. Strap in. I, I guess they just really like, I assume it's some, you know, organization that caters to men and make them feel really important. But in all ways that men need to feel important. So, you know, we got the brains where they, they discuss politics and they think they're ahead of the curve of like world events, but also to their dicks. And that's when you get the like all the pretty ladies in the zone. And we can pretty much assume that when they have those parties, Elizabeth was having a bad time this episode <laughs> yeah. between her sister and Philip just being like, yeah, I'm just I'm just going to a weekend party. Like, I'll see you later, honey. Now, nowadays, the only thing a man needs to feel important is to start a podcast in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, that feels like a self-burn, Ivan. I don't really know what that was. <laughs> I, I, I think we've gotten to, to the point in the show where we can start being a little self-deprecating. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Carlin, to your point, I feel like I need two hands to count the amount of times we just got Liz looking out the window and Philip getting into a car or coming back in a car just like alone. I'm telling you, everyone needs more hobbies. Like Margaret needs more hobbies when she's not just like hung up on on Peter. Elizabeth needs a new hobby that isn't staring out the window at her like trash husband. <laughs> I guess Philip has a bunch of hobbies and that's what's causing all these problems. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up, though. Hold up, though. In defense of Philip, <laughs> he's going out and getting hobbies. Elizabeth isn't. Like, I feel like Philip is not the one to blame here. He's the one enriching his life with a lot of fun activities. Whereas, like, I, I mean, Elizabeth could be doing more. I, I, sh I assume her schedule's really busy, but, like... You know, does she just want to have no personality? I feel like she can tell Tommy, like, hey, clear my schedule for this afternoon. Like, I'm going to learn to knit. Yeah, I really want to know, like, what she can do and, like, what, what does she do for fun? I, I mean, she has the horse. Maybe she just hangs out with that horse. Have we gotten we haven't really gotten to the point in the show where where it becomes like very clear that the, all the royal family ever does on like weekends and summers is go hunting, right? Like, I, I feel like that that's a part of like the the mystique of the royal family that I was already familiar with going into this uh, series from like, you know, other movies and stuff. But mm -hmm. we haven't really seen any of that yet, have we? Except for like in the early episodes with Birdie. I know. I, yeah. I, I was going to say, you, you say that for fun, they go to Wolverton Splash. 
Which, by the way, uh, can, can we talk for a moment about how the Twitter account of the train station for Wolfertons reached out to us to like basically say like, hey, we'll we'll tell you everything you need to know about us. I know they basically gave us a standing invite <laughs> to visit. I cannot Wolverton. wait till we can take them up on that. I I, okay, I look. I looked up Wolverton. There's like nobody lives there. It is a very <laughs> tiny village. That like that train station. Like I saw that Twitter account has something like you know maybe like eight nine hundred followers, and I'm like, okay, that that's pretty modest. But then I looked at how many people live there. That's a lot of followers <laughs> for how small that place is. I just imagine oh. there's maybe one person that lives there, and he's the guy that runs the Twitter account, and he just, like, <laughs> occasionally reaches out to people. He's like, who's mentioned Wolferton today? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, Sam, not Wolferton. The train station at Wolferton. This isn't, like, the official Twitter account of the municipality. This is just the train station. Oh, my God. But I we digress. A museum. <laughs> this is why Twitter exists. Yeah, anyway, what were we talking about before? Uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah, hunting. Yeah, hobbies. hobbies. Yeah. yeah, they don't have any hobbies. They they need to learn how to enrich their lives. And apparently, like, all Queen Mother does is get mad at newspaper articles. Like, anyway, has she done anything that isn't, like, I'm going to try to, like, rein in this scandal that, like, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one that thinks it's a scandal at this point? Because she's just still mad at David. Yeah, I yeah, love it. Just the, the legacy of David. <laughs> yeah, the other aspect that we've mentioned of a great crown episode is somebody tattling on somebody else and in this episode it's tommy margaret shuts the door and he's like well you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna tattle to your mother (laughs) so great (laughs) and again you just get queen mother's really quiet soft voice like should we do but that was a great moment of subversion because you thought that tommy and the queen mother were showing up to essentially tell elizabeth to stop dead in her tracks and not support the marriage and not provide her blessing but instead they were like you know what we got an idea for how we're gonna pull this off in the best way possible and that was mind-blowing i was like whoa everybody's on the same team or at least it looked like it for a moment Mm -hmm. can never last too long yeah so here's my question so they come up with this plan and it's like margaret will just wait until she's 25 and that's it and margaret she doesn't like it but i feel like after liz tells her she's like fine i accept it i just need to see uh peter before i leave for rhodesia we need to have or i guess after i return from rhodesia we need to have this time together and then whatever two years does liz ruin this for them by taking peter with them is it liz's fault that they broke up like if liz had just done nothing whoa 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 broke up no they didn't break up they've just been i mean he's been quote unquote kind of banished to brussels but essentially the the plan is still on right like they're still gonna wait it out until she turns 25 like did they deviate from that i think that margaret was just really mad about missing that like 48 hours with um with peter got you but Liz definitely ruined that for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. That was that was Elizabeth's fault. Yeah. I mean, Margaret was like, you have to admit the level of like ferocity and anger in that one phone call when you think about the fact that technically all Elizabeth did was take away those 48 hours. I think it's really fascinating. Oh, but but I mean, I will it, say like yeah. If, like bad. yeah, I get it. Like she like she like those were going to be like those 48 hours are going to be the last hurrah b- between a a long, cold, dreary winter that was going to last two years. So, like, I get it. I totally get it. 
Um, there's one other thing that I want to talk about, which was that uh, great montage at the end when the uh, article uh, had come out and we saw some uh, cameos toward the end of the episode from yeah. uh, Churchill and then most notably our buddy, former King Edward, a.k.a. David Duke of Windsor and his wife Wallace, who just outright <laughs> cackles I know. when she, when she uh, hears what the newspaper wrote about how, you know, kind of like heartless and vindictive the royal family is like she just shrieked with delight. <laughs> that was glorious. Oh, it was. I did enjoy that. That was a good moment for sure. We got like two seconds of Winston Churchill in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> is it contractual that. that he needs to appear in every episode? What was that for? I can see that being a thing. I, I'm ge- I'm guessing John Lithgow is probably like billed as a regular and and probably paid as a regular for for this season of The Crown. So it's like he's he's on standby. Like if if they want to use him for just a single scene in an episode, they will. And I mean his uh his role last week was also really small. There was like you know the the party planning committee scene, and then like one other shot of him at the the few funeral for queen mary um but yeah i mean i i I think that's nice when when you don't have to feel like you when you don't feel like you have to overutilize an actor or character just because they're there it's like because i mean honestly that up until now that's kind of been margaret it's like she's just always been there for like you know a scene in the background or a very brief appearance or reacting to opening up her curtains and seeing smog out in the city it's like she mm-hmm. wasn't given much to do, and now Winston's kind of getting the same treatment. We got a little bit of a history lesson in this episode about King George III and the Royal Marriages Act of 1772. And I feel like, you know, we obviously know King George III in America because he is the king that basically made us be like, no, we're not taking your shit anymore. We're leaving now. It's great to know that. You know, he was also messing things up for England, too. He was just bad for everybody. Oh, yeah. He was like one of the Mad Kings. He was the Jonathan Groff King? Yeah, Correct. he was the Jonathan yeah. Groff King. Okay. Yeah. That's my point of reference. That, that's that's honestly mine, too. That and, like, the America, like, Schoolhouse Rock little cartoons they used to have. That's it. <laughs> Underreported story, separate beds. I guess it's not surprising, given that it is the 1950s, but they just gave us like a real subtle reminder that Liz and Phil sleep in separate beds. Astounding. It feels like that's just not necessary. But you know, okay, I guess. Okay, I'm I'm just gonna throw it out there. How often are they having sex? When necessary to have children and every other full moon when Philip is just really done. Yeah, all right. Are they having sex on days where Philip's been to the lunch club? I'm going to go with no. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. I feel like the lunch club might be not a great thing for Philip. Yeah. No, you got to. Wow. Elizabeth, where is your joy? (laughs) If you don't have any hobbies, you're not having sex, and your sister hates you. (laughs) <laughs> what does she have? Where are her corgis? I need corgi time. One of the last lines of the episode is the is the final threat from, uh, well, I guess not the last line, but the last line from Margaret is this threat that we get. He reports you so, sister. Is Margaret an intimidating person? Should Liz be very concerned about this? I don't think so. I have a hunch that we're going to watch this next episode and maybe the episode following and we will just not get the follow through on that threat that we're hoping for. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know. Like, 
it's very dramatic and very like juicy as a moment. But I, I don't know what she can actually do because technically her um, financial situation is very much tied to her supporting the crown. So, whoop whoop. But I, I actually hope she does something. Let's let's get some psychological warfare in here. <laughs> Elizabeth needs more excitement in her life. I, I will say I hope we get a little bit more Margaret before the season ends because now we're kind of entering the second half of uh, the, the first season of The Crown and it took us this long to get even a single episode that focused on Margaret and I do hope we get a little bit more before before episode 10. Mm-hmm. So I think we all agree that Liz did a bad job in this episode. She didn't really handle this situation very gracefully. She was either not assertive enough or she just let herself, I guess, get completely influenced by the people around her. So who could have done a better job in this situation managing Margaret and Peter? Uh, Birdie? I I was going to just say Margaret. I don't know. She probably would. (laughs) She would have let herself do it. You know what? I might go Philip. I feel like if we had just listened to Phil for once. <laughs> but wasn't his initial instinct just to like nix the relationship altogether? Or Yeah, I feel like if you just rip the band-aid clean off, you know, what Liz did is kind of like you're holding a cookie out for your dog and every time the dog tries to get it, then you just take it away. And then Liz is like mad when the dog finally like bites her. You didn't have to do everything that you did. And Margaret even comments on this one. She's like, why would you say that this was going to happen? And then be like, nope, just kidding. Like, just rip that Band-Aid off. Yeah, I'll also nominate um, Charles. I don't know where you are. You haven't appeared (laughs) in a very long time. But I'm sure you would have handled this better. That is going to take us to, I believe, our nominations for the Kinky Crown Award this week. And it was not... A very kinky episode overall. This was not an episode that featured a a lot of nudity, a lot of sex, a lot of innuendos. So we're really going to have to dig deep into what we got and see if we can find anything that is worth a nomination this week. Let's see. Carlin, I think you said you might have a nomination. Well, I think if we're going for a metaphorical sense, Tommy completely fucking over Peter, like while making eye contact with him and just no hesitation that was that'd probably be my vote i mean i had the clear sexual tension between peter and tommy in that scene (laughs) okay but that's better tick 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 (laughs) car townsend waiting (laughs) (laughs) all right i also had some of the obvious choices obviously there's margaret telling peter to kiss her one last time in a field with one horse uh, boring. Boring. <laughs> There's Bill picking fluff off of Bob's jacket. Oh, yeah. And then last, uh, I had Philip taking Mike to the Baron's lunch party. No ladies invited. Uh, I, I've got a weird one. And again, we have to like, we have to dig really deep in this episode to get them. But uh, the scene where they're at the lunch club and they uh, tell like the ladies or the servers to uh, like kind of draw the curtains to to darken the room and they have Mm. this very kind of like dark sexually charged uh (laughs) chuckle that accompanies that but then it turns out they're doing it because they're gonna watch a slide deck of photographs amazing i also do think that the sequence of events of like peter calling elizabeth lilibet and then elizabeth immediately turning and ruining his life (laughs) is that a kinky thing carlin (laughs) you know know what that's her asserting her power 
You, you know what? I, I, I'm also going to submit uh, Wallace's laugh. Like, because there was <laughs> there was an orgasmic nature to that laugh, that shriek, that cackle. Like, I, I, I don't know if any other character on the show has experienced like sexual euphoria to the same degree as like her joy in that moment. So, yeah, Ivan, you I think, like that one. You think that David heard that and was immediately like, Shall we fuck? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I think he took that shriek as a challenge. He was like, oh, <laughs> Let, oh God. all right. All right. I, I, I see. I have something to work toward right now. That was a real late contender, but I like it. You might be talking me into it. Carlin, where, where, do you, where are you going with this one? Since, you know, the options are very slim. I really am here for, um, Tommy and Peter, I, I think they have the most sexual tension of any pairing on this show. I'll, I'll vote for them. I'll vote for my boys. Interesting. Ivan, where are you on this? Now that I've heard myself say it, the, the Wallace shriek, like, I, I mean, we've, we've just now added an entire mythology behind it and, and, and it's headcanon for me. Like, I'm not going back. That, that's my vote. I really like uh, what you put out there, Ivan, with, um, <laughs> with David and Wallace. But for me, I feel like that was just a small moment in the episode, whereas the tension between Tommy and Peter is just something that lasts the entire episode that just builds and builds and builds (laughs) until that ultimate scene at the table. And so I think for that reason, this week, I'm going to have to go uh, with Carlin and say that Peter and Tommy, congratulations, you have won this week's Kinky Crown Award. Peter, you might be getting a visitor in Brussels and it's not Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right. So yeah, that's pretty much uh, Jellignite in a nutshell. Uh, Ivan, any closing thoughts here on season one, episode six, now that we're past the midpoint of season one? I I wish I could say things are heating up, but they're they're kind of fizzling out um, because anytime we have anybody trying to aspire toward anything or, you know, get some sense of triumph over institutions and and long-held traditions they just get kind of curb stomped to the ground by by the monarchy (laughs) and and this was a pretty blatant example of it all so i i feel pretty dispirited and and hopefully hopefully something really bad will happen to elizabeth next week we'll see oh you're so mean i still do like elizabeth but I, I think that this is actually um, Tommy's Game of Thrones season. And he's just going to, he's the one winning right now. He keeps delivering, delivering, and delivering. And he's not fired yet. What Game of Thrones character does Tommy most, uh, you know, match up with? Peter Baelish? Uh, oh, he, oh, no. His, if it's Tommy's Peter Baelish, Tommy is nowhere in near as <laughs> impure. Yeah. He he would probably go, uh, I would probably go with, uh, what's his name? The Onion Knight, the guy that was kind of the the uh the right hand man to Stannis Baratheon and then eventually kind of became Jon Snow's uh right hand man. What was that man. guy's name? I want to oh say Chris. Remember he had some monologue about like shitting himself. Uh, his name was Davos. Was, like, Davos. Davos. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, Davos works. I, I would say, you know, Davos, although Davos was never really like in, in service of the person who was in the ultimate seat of power at any given time. But I see a lot of like the same um, 
you know, just sense of polish, sense of loyalty, um, really kind of being a steward to to at least who he perceives to be the rightful, um, you know, owner of the throne. So, yeah, you know, someone like Davos or so, a, a, any of like the kind of like competent bureaucrats that have, you know, kind of been in service of any of the rulers on Game of Thrones. And th- there's been a, quite a few of them. Davos kind of comes top of mind. Um, also, uh, uh, what's the, what's his name? Um, the, uh, I, I, I hate to reduce him down to the eunuch, but like the, uh, you know who I'm talking about. Varys, yeah, you know, someone like Varys, maybe just, just, just someone really competent and sharp who who knows what they're doing and is very effective at their job. Yeah, I feel like if you could mix Davos's general attitude and the fact that you know Tommy really has no desire to be the king, with a little bit of what you were saying about Varys, with just like the brooding looks that Stannis used to give, then you would get Tommy. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. But the yeah. question is. Is Elizabeth like season one Danny? Like she doesn't really have a, a Cersei vibe. No, I feel yeah. like no. Or Liz Sansa. is like season one Sansa. Or maybe season yeah. two Sansa. <laughs> we can give her a little bit of credit. She can be season two Sansa. In this episode, Elizabeth was season eight Daenerys to me, so Whoa, that's <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. We're gonna start forming loyalty packs between all the characters. I don't think she was season eight. Season eight Daenerys was very like, I feel like was doing very aggressive things. Whereas Liz here was just like, I'll try this. Oh no, that didn't work. Oh no, you know, you know who, uh, uh, who Elizabeth is. She's uh Tommen Baratheon, like the younger oh. brother of Joffrey, who was just super innocent and impressionable. The one who just Never jumps really out the thought- tower. <laughs> Oh yeah. It it hasn't come to that yet, but just like, you know, sweet, naive, innocent, didn't wasn't born thinking that they were gonna like, you know, ever move into this particular job. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, yeah. I mean I I gotta say though, I I do love that I'm entering this stage of my life where I'm slowly forgetting the names of all the Game of Thrones characters. Like I I I really hope I continue going down this path. Yeah, that'd be good. You know what? I feel like Liz is actually Theon Greyjoy. It's like, try something. Nope. It's just worse for you now. Oh my God. That's like season four, Danny, where like she tried to like <laughs> save all the slaves and it just didn't work. That's quite a Game of Thrones tangent. Um, Carlin, what did we learn here? Well, besides learning that no one has any hobbies, I also learned that King George III has been causing a ruckus for not only the colonies, but also his own home country. Nice. Uh, Ivan, anything that you learned here? I learned that I'm probably not going to be admitted into the Soho Lunch Club. <laughs> <laughs> I I have hope for you. You know, I, I'll i vouch for you if they need uh, a reference. I, I love a good slide deck <laughs> just as much as the next guy, but, you know, it, it's a very exclusive group. I, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that slide deck too much, Um but, you know, it does tie very closely to, like, I feel like historical events. It was weird watching them talk about, well, I guess Tony Longden, acclaimed photojournalist, my favorite photojournalist, was like, here are all the peasants. And then they were shot down. And then Phil and everybody else in the lunch club was like, yeah, shoot the peasants. Yeah. Well, on that inspiring note. I think I learned that, you know, obviously, well... I'm engaged, but if anything were ever to happen and I need to find somebody, all I need to do to let them know I care is to pick some fluff off of them. 
I, I did learn one more thing that what what happens in the Church of Scotland stays in the Church of Scotland. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right, so that takes us to a close here on season one, episode six, Jelly Knight. Ivan, are you officially off social media? Getting there. <laughs> by by the end of season one of The Crown, it's my goal to have have cut ties with at least one major uh, social network. All right. So for the time being, you can still reach Ivan on social media. So if you have something very pressing, say it now or forever hold your peace, I guess. Carlin, where can people find you on social media? Um, That would be Twitter at Carlin Greenwald and Instagram at Carlin underscore G-E-E. I can never get off social media. It's part of my job. I'm cursed to stay. So you'll always see me there. <laughs> yes. And you can find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. But if you have thoughts about the podcast, the best place for you to reach us is on Twitter at Crown Around Pod. If you, uh, for some reason, just dropped in on episode six, we're happy to have you. But we have five more episodes that you can listen to on our website, <laughs> www.paginatedmedia.com slash crowning around. And our podcast is also available pretty much on any platform where you're going to listen to your podcasts. Coming up here at Paginated Media, on Tuesdays every week, we have uh, the Outfit Repeaters, an unofficial Lizzie McGuire recap podcast. So if you're into Lizzie McGuire, you want to hear uh, myself and my fiance Marissa talk about that, uh, you can do that. And then a week from today, on Thursday, we'll be back here with another episode of Crowning Around, recapping season one, episode seven, Scientia Potentia Est. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Latin is fancy. Mm-hmm. One more thing. If you are the owner of the Wolferton train station <laughs> Twitter handle, we are officially extending you an invitation to come on to this show and educate us about Wolferton. I'm just going to throw that out there. I know it's a long shot, but if you're listening, please, we invite you. I fully agree. And please. it's going <laughs> to, you know, I followed them with the crowning around pod, uh, you know, Twitter, and they did not follow me back. So I hope that, you know, that oh, is indica- then forget it. Forget. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, and one more thing. So every week, obviously, we vote for the kinky crown award, but we also put the poll out on Twitter. So if you disagree or if you th- You know, because we obviously struggled to find something kinky in this episode. So if you had a different thing that you thought was kinky in this episode, just reply to the poll. Let us know. Hey, maybe uh, you you really enjoyed that two seconds of Winston Churchill and Winston Churchill can just (laughs) win the kinky crown award uh, again. So that's it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think so. Cool. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. God save the queen. God save the queen. God save the queen. Thank you.